Welcome to Pedagogue, a podcast about teachers talking writing. I'm your host, Shane Wood. In this episode, I talk with Sarah Z. Johnson about Madison College, a two-year college in Wisconsin, classroom practices and strategies, writing center studies, and dual enrollment. Sarah Z. Johnson is the Writing Center Director and a member of the English faculty at Madison College in Madison, Wisconsin. She currently serves as chair of the Two-Year College English Association and has done policy and committee work for NCTE and 4Cs for many years. Sarah's research interests include dual enrollment, teacher preparation, tutor education, and all things related to writing program administration. Sarah, thanks so much for joining us. I was hoping we could start by talking more about Madison College, a two-year college in Madison, Wisconsin. So I guess I want to start um, by by talking about Madison College, um, which is also actually called Madison Area Technical College. Um, and it's 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 one of those goofy things where uh, for the longest time uh, we were we were you know MATC uh, with the with the tech. Um, and actually, I'm gonna t- I think I'm gonna get into that uh, just a little bit because it does have ramifications for uh, the the pedagogies and the practices that that you're talking about. Um, but one of the mo- most important things uh, about Madison College is that it's a dual mission school. Um, and by that, I just mean that we um, we both prepare students for transfer. We are by far the largest transfer feeder school to the UW, um, University of Wisconsin, Madison, um, you know, hundreds of other uh, four-year colleges as well, um, but that's our primary one. But we also offer, I think, 180 or more professional uh, two-year degree programs. And so that's everything from, you know, diesel mechanics to architecture to graphic design, uh, you know, health ed, all of that kind of stuff. Um, So I I, I do promise to talk about pedagogy, but I guess I want to talk about structure first, because I think that often has an impact on on curriculum and and I think especially department organization. My work um, through TICA, the two-year college English association um, of which right now I'm chair, um, has really helped me understand that I think two-year colleges, even more than most other kinds of higher ed institutions, are really impacted by state law. And that's true, I think, of a lot of public universities, but it's it's very, very true um, of two-year schools. Maybe all of them, except tribal colleges, are, are even more impacted. But um, I, Wisconsin, where I am, is uh, is actually kind of a prime example because some of your listeners may have heard that in uh, 2018, I think, um, they may have heard that the two-year college system in Wisconsin was dismantled, was dissolved. Um, and it was it was a catastrophe. Um, actually, Holly Hassel, um, Joanne Giordano, who I think have been um, uh, guests on your show in the past, um, were both professors at the, in this two-year college system. And it was dismantled. Um, I can I can get into the politics of it, but that's not that's not really what this uh, what this question is about. Um, but it was it was rather catastrophic. So here's the thing, though, because my college was in the tech college system, that dismantling didn't touch us. Our funding remained strong. 
um, our, you know, even though, you know, in a lot of ways, there were a, a lot of folks throughout Wisconsin who were under pressure in terms of, um, you know, uniformity of curriculum design and things like that. We never had to worry about that in the tech college system. And in a lot of that, you know, we weathered the, the Walker administration, um, and it was, it was rather hostile to higher ed, I think in general and humanities in particular, but we, we weathered it well because we could be sold to taxpayers as you know practical job uh, preparation. Now, you know, there could be all reasons why you're like, well, <laughs> not, not exactly, but um, you know, we can say Madison College is sending out nurses, welders, IT security folks, you know, web developers, all that kind of stuff. So as I said, I promise back to your question <laughs> about, about approach and pedagogy. Um, so we have at our dual mission school, these two tracks. One is what we call our transfer track, our liberal arts transfer track. And, and the other is our program, our professional communication track. Um, but I think it's important to know that in almost all dual mission schools, it's never as simple as the welders get this English class and the university bound get this English class. Um, our professional writing and communication sequence still places uh, a really heavy emphasis on rhetorical understanding, uh, media literacy, self-assessment, peer learning, all of those kinds of things. And I wanna say too that our faculty are often teaching in these two tracks side by side. Um, my typical uh, schedule is, is not at all unusual in the sense that I teach a professional track, a professional communication class called oral interpersonal communication right alongside advanced composition. Um, I teach my peer tutoring um, writing center uh, pedagogy class. So I'm doing all of those things at once and, and many of my colleagues are doing something very, very similar. Um, and I do, I, I wanna give a shout out to my faculty colleagues too, since you're, you know, since you ask about Madison College, I do think it's important to recognize that there are such amazing faculty who teach at two year colleges across the country. Just um, some of my colleagues in my department, um, we have nationally recognized poets and novelists. Um, we have a prominent African studies scholar, um, online learning specialists who kind of travel around the country. Um, so it, it's it's something that I really thinking about, you know, Madison um, in, in general, something I appreciate about Madison, Wisconsin, actually. Um, I started my career at a two-year college in rural North Carolina, and I loved it. Uh, but it was a lot harder to find comparate PhDs <laughs> in rural in rural North Carolina than it is in in Madison, Wisconsin. But I think it's important to recognize, like I said, that because we're all teaching all of these classes, um, the pragmatism of our program classes really infuses itself into our transfer, our, our LAT, our liberal arts transfer classes. Um, and I think the theory uh, and the pure academic curiosity that is, uh, you know, really fostered in, in liberal arts transfer sequence influences our professional program course design. So I, I guess the other thing that is important to know about teaching at, at this particular two-year college, but I think just in two-year two colleges in general, um, 
and I've spent most of my career at, at two-year colleges. Um, I just, I love the work so much. Um, I think a lot of it is the aspirational nature of it. Our students are trying and doing something that for most of them is brand new, is really scary. It wasn't the expected thing. And so, yeah, some of them are coming just because their parents are some. Most are coming in spite of, not in spite of their parents, but I mean, in spite of their experiences, in spite of the obstacles, in spite. And so, you know, in, in that sense, it is so exciting uh, to be able to be part of that. So you frame the context of Madison College, and I was wondering what this means for your teaching, specifically in the first year writing classroom. Do you mind sharing some classroom practices and strategies or pedagogies that you use? So the thing about um, that's, that's different than first year comp um, at a, at a two-year college versus, you know, say a large research university or something like that is that the folks who are, are teaching first-year comp, um, are very, very often experienced at it, have been doing it a long time. Um, we come from a variety of approaches. And so the idea that you would necessarily say, and I can say this because right now I'm, I'm one of the, I'm one of the, the English department chairs. Um, if I went into my colleagues and said, here's your syllabus, uh, here's the book you need to, to, to use, you know, here are the assignments, it would not fly. <laughs> it would not fly. And, and that's not to say that um, there is no uh, interest in coherence, <laughs> obviously. Um, that's one of the things that as a, as, as a chair, uh, we're constantly trying to do is, is help our uh, colleagues craft syllabi that provide, um, you know, we've got outcomes, obviously. You know, we say, here's what your, our students need to do, this and this and this and this. Um, how they get there is very much up to the faculty. Um, we, we try as much as possible to provide a lot of uh, support. So, you know, I talked about, you know, here's your syllabus, here are your assignments, here's your book. Um, do we force that? No. Do we offer it? Yes. <laughs> and so um, what I will tell you practically what it looks like, and I'll just use um, our, our comp one, which we call English one as an example. We have a number of different approaches. We have a kind of a standard, what you would call kind of rhetorical argument approach. Um, we have a writing about writing approach. Um, that's the one I'm teaching right now that a, a number of us are doing. Um, we have one that is uh, more geared toward um, just, you know, practical real life genre, uh, and, and having people uh, practice, having people read. Um, one of the things that we always do is incorporate um, a multimodal uh, piece of some sort. Um, you know, the idea of reading visual rhetoric, um, those kinds of things. So I guess, you know, to, to answer your question, we, we definitely have outcomes. Um, we have a list of, in our department, what we call non-negotiable skills that our students have to have, which is different than that, the larger outcomes. These skills are just kind of like, if I get a student in my English comp two class that has never been introduced to the library's databases, for example, 
then that's a problem, <laughs> right? So we have this list of sort of skills, but but there is quite a bit of freedom because of the experience of the faculty who are teaching those classes. You also direct the writing center at Madison College. As a writing center director at a two-year college, what is your administrative philosophy or what guides your approach to writing center studies? Maybe you could talk just a bit about what the writing center looks like in your context. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I should say in, in many ways, I, I identify first as a writing center person. <laughs> um, ever since I, I was in graduate school, I, I fell into writing center work and anybody who's done that kind of knows how that happens. <laughs> And ever since then, I've I'm, I've been a writing center person. So even as I I sort of um, you know uh, gravitate toward other uh, other areas, so I, you're absolutely right. In so many ways, um, the writing center at Madison College, and I think at at a number of different large two year schools, offer unique or I guess unusual um, affordances for, uh, for for various reasons. So one of the things that I think makes uh, the Writing Center at Madison College particularly wonderful is that we have a mixed staff and a lot of two-year colleges do not use peer tutors. They're quite different. And, and that's, this isn't true across the board, obviously, but they are often quite different than the writing centers you find at four-year schools uh, and universities. And a lot of it is just about time because by the time a student is, is qualified enough to be a peer tutor, they're often about to transfer. And again, there are lots of great examples of phenomenal places. I mean, I'm thinking about, you know, Clint Gardner at Salt Lake, um, where there are really good writing centers staffed almost exclusively by peer tutors, but it is less, much less common in two-year schools for practical reasons. So the writing center, when I inherited it um, many, many years ago, uh, we only had actually faculty tutors. They were part-time faculty who, who worked in the writing center. And that's actually fairly common at two-year schools who are lucky enough to have a writing center. And because of the research I had done in the field, I basically went to my administration and said, hey, to your college students can do this work if they're trained well, um, if they are you know, given the tools, they can do this work. And then the, the big thing that I really uh, argued for is that, gosh, a lot of our students are transferring to UW-Madison. They can keep working for us even after they transfer, and a lot do. And so that was one of the things that sort of allowed, uh, allowed me to start a peer tutoring program. So we have this mixed staff where I've got professional tutors, um, you know, folks with degrees uh, who are in the community. They don't, you know, they just, they've had experience in education. Maybe they're retired teachers. Maybe they were, they worked for newspapers, whatever. And so they get specialized training. Um, we have faculty tutors. Um, and so that is part of, uh, again, this is something that I've built into the structure of our center where, um, where full-time faculty have the option to spend some of their workload in the writing center. And, and I, I've, I've made those arguments to my admin, to my deans, by talking about the professional development 
um, that is afforded by that. So part-time faculty who work in the writing center get to see, you know, the composition sequence because they're, of course, they're getting uh, students who are who are getting assignments from all across our sequence, and so they can see what other teachers are assigning, what they're doing. It's a it's a beautiful big norming session in some way, right? Uh, but it also, I think, you know, and many of my colleagues have have said this because uh, even those who didn't ever have writing center experience before, um, I always make them do a little bit of of training, and of course we do peer observations, and and I I force them <laughs> into some writing center theory and history and pedagogy, and and they've already, you know, they all talk about how it then impacts their classroom practice. Because I think, again, anybody who's worked in writing centers knows that's what happens when you, when you work one-on-one -on -one with learners and you see how that goes and, you know, you can, because in a classroom, the arc of a semester is where you measure learning. Um, whereas in a writing center session, it's that arc of an hour. And so it's a little, you know, it's a little different. So back, back to your question about, um, you know, how does, how does the context impact, um, how I approach it as an administrator. And I would say the big thing is unity of vision rather than uniformity of practice. And while there are certain things that I'm like, yeah, you're going to want to do read aloud protocols. Yeah, you're going to want to, you know, no matter if you are a faculty tutor who has 25 years experience or you're the brand new peer tutor who's just starting, these are the things that, that are generally acceptable. Um, on the other hand, because I have such an incredibly diverse staff when it comes to background and knowledge and, you know, whatever, um, you know, their practice isn't going to look exactly the same. Um, the thing I have to say, and if there are any writing center directors out there who are listening, um, try to try to get some mixed staff because one of the beautiful things about it is that I can do professional development for the whole staff and be talking to my peer tutors who are just learning and need some background and need reminders, but really I'm talking to my colleagues <laughs> who I think sometimes get a little too teachery <laughs> when they're when they're working one-on-one -on -one with students. And so it's it's just it's a great way for for the professional tutors and and my my faculty colleagues to mentor um, you know the, the the peer tutors and it's it's a phenomenal way for the peer tutors to then model and 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 disseminate their knowledge because often because they take an entire class with me they have a better theoretical and historical framework than some of my some of my English teacher colleagues <laughs> so it's great it's really cool Sarah you you mentioned dual enrollment at the beginning of our conversation and I know that's a big part of your research interest in January 2021 you wrote a blog post about dual enrollment for NCTE, and you talk about how dual enrollment, quote, has become one of the fastest growing educational trends in the United States, and how dual enrollment, quote, holds enormous promise for students. Do you mind talking more about your research on the value of dual enrollment and the advantages or promise or the opportunities these programs offer students? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This is definitely, especially in the last 
five or six years been um, my my major area of of research and um, and and it is it is it's it's exciting. Um, when done well, dual enrollment uh, can really be a bridge between these two different worlds, um, and I I think it's especially important for us in higher education to recognize that they really are different worlds, especially for first generation students. We think about those high school students who are juniors and seniors, and I have uh, a junior right now. And um, as, the, as the son of you know, two college educated uh, parents, he's already mentally getting ready for college, right? Um, we're talking about what, it, what the expectations are. We're visiting, we're, you know, we're doing all of these things. And so the transition, it's hard for everybody, but it's not as hard for those students who have been mentally prepared almost since they were little kids to make this next step. For a lot of first-generation students, it really is a, a huge gap, right? And these are the students who are most likely to attend community college. And so this is a population um, that, you know, that I feel is, is really important to reach out to. Research shows over and over again that the students that we were just talking about who've been prepared uh, to go to college, they take AP classes. Um, statistically, that's what they do. They take AP. It's the students who probably weren't planning on going to college or who aren't sure or who aren't in the AP classes that take dual enrollment. And that's why it has such promise because students who take dual enrollment tend to be from lower, lower socioeconomic uh, classes, uh, more minority students, way more first-generation students. So it's a powerful tool. It's in many ways a soft opening, if you want to think about it that way. It's kind of like a scaffolded introduction to the uh, expectations, I think, and the intellectual risk-taking that is expected, hopefully, in a college classroom. Um, and that often isn't through no fault of high school teachers. I mean. High school curriculum, I think, almost by default and by necessity, has to be sort of closed, right? It's not about intellectual risk-taking, because it can't be. And I think for some students, that shift is really difficult to make. Um, so, so DE programs, uh, dual enrollment programs can do that. But honestly, I think, to tell you the truth, in some way, I think the promise of dual enrollment programs is almost more important because of the collaboration it fosters between high school faculty and, and post-secondary faculty. Because we are, I think we do, if we're not careful, we operate in such different worlds that when we are not talking to each other, that handoff, right? I mean, you think about it like a relay race, like we're constantly dropping that poor baton and the baton is the students. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and so well-designed dual enrollment programs really allow faculty to talk to each other and to learn from each other. Because I got to tell you, I would not know how to teach a class full of high school seniors about to, <laughs> you know, like they, they are checking out. And yet my colleagues who are teaching dual enrollment in high school, they do it. They somehow find a way to get those students, you know, engaged across the finish line in a way that with more patience than I could. Because 
because again, as, as a college faculty, we are much more in the mindset of, you know, I, I can help you, you know, I can support you. I can give you everything, but you know, I, I can't, I can't, uh, get you across the finish line. And I think high school teachers are better equipped to figure out how to do that. Thanks, Sarah. And thank you, Pedagog listeners and followers. Until next time.